Welcome to This Must Be The Place, a podcast about communities and the people who build, support, and live in them. I'm your host, Greg Dunlap. Our guest today on the podcast is Jess Sand. Jess is an independent digital experience strategist based out of the Bay Area and the group host of the Content and UX Slack community, which is what we are here to discuss today. So thanks for coming on, Jess. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So to start with, what like what what exactly is the content and UX Slack community? Yeah, it's um, so it's interesting because it lives on Slack, but it really is uh, so much more than that. Uh, it's about a group of about we're almost at we're actually almost at ten thousand people now. Um, not all of whom are you know fully active members all the time. Right. Sure. Um, but we are essentially a support group for content professionals and the UXers who love them. That's how I like to put it. Um, we are uh, primarily content strategy focused with a heavy product content focus. So digital products, digital apps, et cetera. But we welcome everybody working with content in all forms. Um, and we really sort of... Um, both celebrate content and the experience of content and shape the shape of that experience. Uh, but also we're very much a professional support group and a personal support group. Um, so uh, we are a place where people can come together outside of their work environment um, and connect around content and uh, content, user experience, content, et cetera, um, and, and be with their people. Kind of like a content strategy therapy in a way. A hundred percent, completely. Uh, we, it's people are very passionate about the group and the community. It's a very, um, it's very large, but it still feels very intimate uh, and um, and and very personal. There are a lot of, you know, I think people make a lot of really deep relationships, uh, and um, and it, it really is a support group through and through. How did you come to find the group and then so, sort of become to kind of take it over? I mean, I know that you're kind of, I know that you're not the only person helping run it, but you are kind of like the public face of the group, as it were. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I try not to make it the Jess <laughs> show, but sometimes it is a little bit inevitable. Um, I started as a member, um, Michael Metz, actually, who is a content strategist um, himself, was the one who started the group. Um, he had attended a confab conference, I want to say in 2015 ish. Um, and, um, uh, really didn't want the, the sort of, you know, vibe of, of confab to end. It's a great event that it's sort of the content strategy flagship, um, event, um, the motherland, so to speak. And, um, and so he wanted to keep the conversations going. Uh, so he started the Slack group. A uh, bunch of us found our way into it. It was very small at first. Uh, when I first joined, I want to say there were you know fewer than a couple hundred people maybe. Um, and over time it grew. And around, I want to say 2018, uh, I think Michael outgrew it um, and was <laughs> ready to hand over the reins a bit. You know, um, I don't think he intended it to be a sort of um, living, breathing thing that needed this sort of real uh, constant maintenance. And so um, I don't know if sort of I was just the first person who said yes, <laughs> but um, but I was honored to that he considered me a, an appropriate host. And, um, and I ended up taking over the reins around 2018 and 
at that point, there were maybe a thousand people in the group, 2000 people in the group. And so just in the last um, few years, couple years, we've uh, just astronomically grown to a point that is quite mind boggling, actually. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I remember actually when we first started the conversation about getting uh, about putting this podcast together, which was only you know a month or two ago. Uh, I think the group stood at eighty eight hundred members, and now it's at ninety eight hundred. So even in that short time, it's grown by like a thousand people. It's like technology itself, right? It just keeps scaling and scaling and scaling. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it speaks to. I mean, I think there's a couple things going on there. Um, one. I have to assume that the pandemic has just made people seek out community in uh, as in any way they can, um, and that that is sort of helping to drive it. But even before the pandemic, we were uh, growing just rapidly, and I I think that you know con- the content strategy field is is sort of finally settling into its own, and um, you know we're starting to see. UX writing roles become more ubiquitous, uh, in particularly in the sort of big tech companies, um, and and they're starting to. It's really starting to be a, a defined field in a way that it wasn't several years ago, um, and so I think that is bringing people in. Um, we get a lot of career switchers and folks who are new to the field, a lot of students. Um, but we also have a lot of seasoned professionals um, who have been doing this work for a really long time. And I think that's one of the beauties of our beautiful things about our group is that um, we really have a wide spectrum of experience represented and everybody, um, it's very sort of, um, I mean, it really is a support group, right? It's about exchanging knowledge and supporting each other. And uh, people are really free with their knowledge and expertise. Um, and it's uh, it, to me, it's just a sort of beautiful thing to watch expand and grow. And, and we're also seeing a lot of um, global membership coming in. A lot of folks from um, other countries and other continents outside of the um, outside of North America, which is really exciting for me. Um, I think that speaks to the reach of technology as a whole and to and to content and UX. Um, those fields sort of as those markets start to develop in other other locations. Um, and, and we're seeing folks, uh, you know, um, uh, we've had, it's just, it's funny to watch where people are coming from. And um, it, it's just very, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, I, I, I still am amazed. I'm waiting for our first uh, Antarctic content strategist. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm sure it'll happen soon enough. They must have. They must have. They must have some at like the research stations up there, right? Yeah, I would imagine. Uh, at least in some form. I mean, yeah. Um, I I have a cousin who spent some time in, uh, at one of those stations, and um, she wasn't in content, but somebody there is definitely recording information. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it has to be communicated out somehow. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, I think we would call this a community of practice, right? It's people brought together around a professional topic, um, to, you know, learn and, you know, teach or mentor and support each other, as you say, um, what, what would you say is, is kind of unique to a community of practice versus a, any, any other kind of community, a fandom community or 
a group of people who know each other and collect around a common interest? Like what, what makes this, uh, you, what, what's different here than what you've maybe dealt with in the past? It's interesting because I really, you know, this is very much, we are really focused around a professional practice and, and we're very focused around it. I mean, we are adamant about keeping our channels on topic and conversations really focused on content. You know, we have our, we have our sort of water cooler random channels that allow people to, to, you know, um, veer off the wander off the ranch but but for the most part like we're very focused on content and we really keep we really want to create those guardrails because it's there's so many design communities and so many other kind of um professional adjacent content adjacent communities out there that this was really like one of the first content specific groups and we really wanted to keep that that essence um and yet interestingly um it is so much more personal than that. Uh, yeah. And so it's hard for me to say um, what's unique about the about a community of practice because I feel like we're more than that. And um, I, I think, you know, this actually came up in an interesting thread recently where somebody asked, posed the question, um, how political should we be, should we be comfortable being on our own social media feeds and in these groups, in these professional groups. It was sort of a personal question that I think that our this member was grappling with themselves. Um, and this was particular. This was post election, and so I think it was very top of mind. And and so there was a thread about that, and there was a lot of um, vocal membership speaking up, saying, you know, our work is political. What we bring to our work and our labor is um, contextual, it lives within the larger context of the world we live in and, um, and it impacts people, uh, beyond just, you know, tapping a button on an iPhone and therefore, you know, the argument being made was, was that politics had a place in this, in professional spaces and which I completely agree with. And, um, and, and I think, you know, while we're not a political group by any means. And there's not actually, I would say there's really not a lot of politics in, in the discussions that we see surface. Um, there are a lot of personal politics and a lot of, you know, people are able to bring their whole selves into the group in a space that typically wouldn't be, a, wouldn't be acceptable for a professional group. Um, you know, I think most people are so concerned about looking like experts or being professional and sort of maintaining a reputation or, uh, you know, who they represent as a company. And none of that exists in content in UX. Um, it's like you come as a person, as an individual, not as the employer you represent. And I think that comes through in the, um, in the nature of the conversations and the depth of the conversations and the breadth of the conversations. You bring up an interesting point, which I hadn't really thought about before. So, my, you know, my background is in software development. And in that community, it seems like we're in a place where everybody considers themselves an expert about everything. And I've noticed in the content strategy community, it's almost the opposite, where everybody considers everybody else an expert in, about everything, but themselves personally to be an idiot who doesn't know anything. <laughs> Imposter um, syndrome is and, real. <laughs> 
yeah, the imposter syndrome in the content strategy community is very real. Um, and, and it does, it does, you know, it does kind of create a different dynamic in the group. And I think, but, but I do think that, or maybe, you know, you can tell me if you think that that dynamic contributes to the ability to create a place that is in a lot of ways more welcoming. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really interesting, um, uh, concept. And I think that to some degree, that's probably really true. Um, you know, content is information is super mundane. Everybody deals with it. Uh, it, we, you know, we're swimming in it, whether we want to be or not. And, and so it does, I think, uh, feel much more approachable. Uh, and again, I think because the industry itself, the field itself is, particularly in the product content space. Um, you know, I think a lot of old school content strategists would argue that content strategy has been around for decades. It's just had different names and, you know, in different forms. Um, and, uh, but I think that the field itself is now, um, is nascent enough in the sense that, um, people are still figuring it out. Everyone is still figuring it out. Even the big tech companies, you know, and, 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 um, people who are managing hundreds of people um, are still figuring out how to structure a team of a content team and how to integrate content into software development process, into the agile process. Um, and so because it's the Wild West, I think, or, you know, has been over the last few years to some degree, um, I think people um, both have a hard time navigating it and finding their way around and feeling like they can, they can stake a claim in that. Um, but also it allows everybody to sort of come as they are and, and to, to be figuring it out together. Um, and I think the beauty of the content, the content in UX community in particular is that it has been, um, as one of the most visible com content communities, I think it has been a space in which people can do that safely outside of the context of their work environment where they have to answer to other people. Um, they have to answer to bosses and colleagues and people in other departments. And here they can come and um, and have all their questions and concerns and, and uncertainties and figure it out and puzzle through it with people in their who who are really in their shoes. Yeah, I mean, I think that's especially true as discussions around. You know, you were talking about um, people discussing bringing politics into their work, or or you know, the theme. There's been there's been a lot of themes in the content and design communities in recent years about sort of the political and or ethical implications of our work, right? Yeah. And you, and a lot of people may be working at places that don't, haven't necessarily bought into that yet and having a place to bring that forward and find a group of people who are sympathetic to it seems really valuable. Um, and, you know, you've really, you've really, um, well, or, the uh, group itself has spent a lot of time focusing on those issues. Like you've you've made a real focus on um, salary transparency, for instance, in hiring. And you know there are a lot of there are channels for things like anti-racist language and ethical design and stuff like that. And and it's and um, is that something that you kind of brought forward, or was it a thing that was a uh, focus when Michael first started the group, or how did that sort of develop? Um, in in the community itself yeah i mean most of our channels have developed fairly organically uh in the sense that um 
somebody felt a need to discuss something more specifically or wanted to sort of uh, congregate around a more particular topic. Um, and so we created a channel for it. Um, these days, and we have a lot of channels, uh, which is one yeah. of the things we grapple with actually, just platform-wise. But um, the the salary transparency thing in particular, I actually, um, I, I really pushed that early on. Um, before I was group host, I had brought it up. I had somebody else had brought it up to me in another community. I was in an email uh, progressive uh, communications professional email list, um, and somebody had shared uh, some thoughts on salary transparency for Equal Pay Day, and um, made the point that trans that withholding uh, salary during the job search process um, has a serious impact on equity uh, in terms of candidates getting the same treatment. So it really reinforces implicit bias in the hiring process uh, when people, when candidates aren't coming to the negotiation table at the same, um, on the same level. And, uh, and transparency and salary, uh, job postings helps to mitigate some of that. It doesn't solve it, but it helps to mitigate it. Um, and I kind of floated the question, is this something we would be interested in considering, like requiring that jobs shared in our group uh, include a salary? And it got some positive response, but nothing ever really sort of happened with it. And when I, when I took over the group, I, it was sort of the one thing I felt like I wanted to exert myself in and really sort of uh, um, kind of push us toward as opposed to letting things sort of happen naturally. Um, and so we actually did kind of slowly ease into the policy uh, where we um, allowed folks to share any any job posting they wanted, any content posting they wanted. Um, but if it had um, a salary, it would post immediately. And if it didn't have a salary, we would delay the posting uh, and only share like certain information and sort of just make it less of an incentive, uh, sort of disincentivize uh, excluding salary. And then earlier this year, we, um, I just, we made the call, the admin team and I got together and made the call to just make it a blanket policy because we were done waffling. <laughs> um, and, yeah. um, and, but it was important for us to like both, um, both ensure that we were providing value to all of our members and providing the same value to all of our members, you know, statistically speaking, um, uh, people of color and black people and people of color, uh, women, um, people with disabilities, uh, LGBTQ plus folks, um, statistically speaking, they get lower job offers. They have lower salary ceilings over the course of their careers. Um, they are penalized for negotiating during the job uh, offer stage. Um, and so when you post a, a job posting and you don't include salary, you're kind of by default giving a leg up to white cishet males, essentially. Um, and that's not fair. And it's not the kind of community we wanna be, right? We want to make sure that when we're posting these job openings, that everybody has the, uh, an equal opportunity um, to uh, be treated fairly. And so that's that was really the incentive behind it. Um, and when we looked at it from that point of view, it was pretty hard not to argue that this should just be a blanket policy. 
Um, I mean, we're seeing this, this is becoming more and more common. Um, you know, normalizing the inclusion of these details is just so important uh, and, and it's happening. Um, you know, the more that groups like ours that are visible can um, elevate that issue and make it clear that this is what job seekers expect. This is what we expect from employers and from companies. Um, the more they're going to have to step up and actually uh, do the right thing. And so for us, that was sort of what was behind it. Um, some of the other channels like, you know, anti-racist language is one that um, Andy Welfley actually recommended we start. Um, we had a couple of other channels. Um, I'm trying to remember now off the top of my head. Um, but we're trying, basically we've been trying to create, we have like an inclusivity channel. Um, we've been trying to create spaces, deliberate spaces, um, both where these topics are, to make these topics visible and say like, this is something we actually should be talking about as a field, particularly um, people who create content for a living and shape experiences, digital experiences for a living. Um, you know, we kind of have this, we have an obligation to, um, to be intentional uh, with our work and our, and our um, impacts. And so creating these spaces and making them visible both elevates the conversation, but it also invites people into the conversation and allows people to talk about this stuff in a place, again, where they know that they can actually get support and help. They don't have to have all the answers. You know, some of these questions are really thorny. I mean, the anti-racist the anti-racist language channel is a great example, you know. I mean, we're having these pretty deep conversations about, um, you know, what language to use and how to talk about race. And that's not, those are not easy conversations. Um, and yet our space is actually, um, for the most part, I would say, we've been very successful at navigating those and, and haven't needed to do any real moderation or, um, we haven't seen anything go really sideways. And I think that's a testament both just to the, you know, the amazing people in the group, um, but also the fact that we have these very deliberate spaces. People know that they can safely talk about this and they're coming to it. Everybody's coming to it with this shared goal of, um, of doing better work and doing our work better. Right. I mean, in, the, in, in those channels, mostly you see people coming in with the attitude of, I intend to um, implement this on my team. How can I make it better? As opposed to the question of, why should I do this? Um, why is it important? Which, which, are, which is not really the focus of the discussions, at least that I've seen. Um, mostly people are coming in already already deciding this is something they want to do and figuring out how they work towards it, which I think probably helps the the tenor of the conversation in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably true. And I think that, um, you know, like I said, we have a lot of members in our group and certainly not all of them are are active. We have a lot of lurkers, a lot of people who sort of watch the conversations unfold um, I mean, I'm constantly getting notes from folks or seeing people post like, hey, um, you know, uh, people that I don't see post very much might, you know, saying like, I learned a lot from this thread, even though they didn't participate in it. Um, and, and so I think the folks who maybe 
are more hesitant or aren't sure sort of, is this really something we should be talking about? Or is this really important? I suspect that a lot of those people actually do see these conversations, and I think it's valuable for them as well. I think there's value there um, in, in simply having, like, holding space for that, right? And and showing showing people this path that actually can be very powerful um, and beneficial to a company, um, let alone on a personal level. Um, and so, uh, so I think that's, and I think it's important to acknowledge that. Um, you know, the salary transparency thing was interesting because we did get a little pushback at first um, when we first started uh, even just implementing the recommendation, let alone the requirement. Um, and in fact, one of the most vocal opponents, like people, one of the most vocal members who came out and, and he and I had a lot of back and forth um, in DMs and, and um, discussion, um, he was really adamant that that this was not really our place as a community, a professional community, that this wasn't effective, et cetera. Um, he now is actually one of the most ardent supporters of the policy <laughs> and, and has taken it back to his own company and, and, um, and, and is now including uh, salary in his own job posting. So you can see how just having the space to talk about this stuff actually can like really change the way people do their work. And, and and think about these issues altogether. Oh yeah, I mean the 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 salary um, the the discussions about um, salary transparency were the same thing for me. I took those back to my work, and we now include salaries in all of our postings as a result of the discussions that happen. I love so, that. I mean, I mean that that's definitely a part of things that exists. So the group stands right now at almost 10,000 people. Uh, what other challenges have you faced as you've um, had to scale to that size from, you know, only only 1,000 people when you first started taking it over? Yeah, it's interesting. And not the challenges I would have anticipated, I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> I would have thought that like spam and moderation and breaking up fights and blah, blah, blah would be like the biggest issue and we barely have to do any of that. It's pretty amazing. It's a very self-moderating group, um, which is fantastic. And I also have an amazing team of volunteer admins um, who are incredible. Uh, so, you know, shout out to Jess and Sarah and Clay and Ken and Michael uh, and Amanda. <laughs> um, but um, I would say... You know, platform, honestly, is one of the bigger challenges we face right now. Um, there's a couple things. One is just keeping up with um, keeping up with the invites and making sure that members feel welcomed and un can find their way around and find their way into the group. And um, that that can take a lot of hand. That, that can be really difficult at scale if you don't have automations and systems. And we really don't. I mean, like we operate on a zero dollar budget. Um, so, uh, you know. There's not a lot of like tooling to help us. It's all very manual. Um, that's a big challenge, right. especially especially given that the which we haven't mentioned actually yet. The group is actually invite only uh, technically. Yes. I mean, you you I don't I don't know what kind of process you have to let or not let people in. I suspect you mostly just let in whoever requests. But people do have to specifically request access to get into yeah. the group. We do screen actually, and we don't screen oh. heavily, but we screen mm -hmm. and um, the the again, we, I sort of inherited this process and then, and then built on it or refined it over time. But, um, 
uh, we do, you know, we are a content uh, for, we are a support group for content professionals or people who want to be content professionals. And so um, we, that is the sort of core criteria. Um, we don't require that you have a job in content or anything like that. Um, but, uh, but that is, you know, having that affinity is, is, um, is sort of the core deciding factor. But then there's a couple of things we also screen for that I think are relevant, which are like, we don't allow recruiters in, dedicated recruiters, mm. uh, we keep those folks out. They're allowed to post jobs as long as they include salary, they can share those jobs to the group, but they can't hang out with us. Uh, it just, it we don't want people, we're not a market, right? We're not a, um, our membership is not a marketplace for employers. Um, and so, um, uh, and then we also, I do some code of conduct screening. So like I have, mm-hmm. you know, like a little question that asks people to read the code of conduct and tell me what like is the most striking th- thing to them about the code of conduct. Um, and I use that just as sort of a gauge of how much people are actually reading it or paying attention. Um, and that's actually been a really interesting screener question. But those are, that's really the only screening we do. Um, but it is manual. So I review all of the, like every invitation I review. <laughs> it's crazy. Right. Um, and so, um but the platform itself is challenging. You know, we're on Slack's free tier. And so we only get a limited number of messages. And because we're such a large and active group, we go through that message archive in a matter of months. And so we have very short history span, uh, very short history, very short me- group memory. Um, and that to me is probably the biggest challenge, um, even outside of resources and like all the many things I want to do to like boost member engagement and make people feel, you know, welcome and give people like, I would love to host events and all kinds of stuff. But even beyond that, just institutional memory. There's so much knowledge shared in this group and it goes away within a matter of months and it kills me. And <laughs> so, you know, and, and yet I don't want to just like extract it all and capture it and dump it online because there is something very valuable about having this like almost cl- like semi pseudo closed space that makes people feel more open to, to, to be that sort of vulnerable, uh, supportive community that that we have, um, so it's this really it's this tension that that I have not figured out how to resolve. You know, you and I have had conversations about platform options, and I've had the same conversations with so many people. And there's not necessarily like a perfect solution. So, and I don't know what we'll do, but I, I suspect that in the coming year we'll probably, if not migrate need to expand or augment with another platform that might help us solve some of those um, like institutional knowledge and and capturing some of this amazing um, depth that people that people share regularly yeah it's interesting because slack as what is you know really just a very very fancy chat app in the end uh, you know a <laughs> method of synchronous communication as you will um, has has its uses but the fact is that, you know, 95% maybe of the chat that goes on in there is probably fairly ephemeral. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe not quite that much, but a lot of it, you know, we don't need to archive forever the cat photos channel and stuff like that. <laughs> well, some people would disagree with you there, Greg. <laughs> yes, I would, I would say that. Yes, you're probably right. But, um, but, but, you know, or, or there may be a discussion that is 150 messages long where 
the discussion may not be the important part, but the conclusions from the discussion are extremely important. Yeah. Right? And so, and, and, but on the other hand, those conclusions wouldn't be reached without the synchronous discussion that happened. And I've been, I've actually been thinking a lot about sort of how there is really a place for both asynchronous and synchronous communication channels in any community, but putting that together is a really tricky problem. Yes. And I think you're absolutely right. And I think it is very common in almost all online communities, I think that, or digital communities. Um, I also think that there's a difference in the nature of conversations that happen in content and UX. Um, mm -hmm. Like you were saying that some of the stuff doesn't need to be cataloged, whereas some does. So, you know, we have, for example, we have channels where people can get help on their active projects. Like I need help coming up with a new word, or I don't think I'm phrasing this right, or help me think through the UX of this. And those things are very scenario specific and, you know, work related. Those are not things that need to be captured for posterity necessarily. But then there are these best practice questions and threads and, you know, uh, what do you do in these scenarios? Um, how do you accomplish this goal? Those things are super valuable. Uh, yeah. They're evergreen uh, often, but they also often change. Like you might get new answers depending on if it was asked six months ago versus you know yesterday. Um, and so those things to me, uh, it's a shame that those don't get captured and, and preserved. Uh, preserved. And and then there's also this sort of um, serendipitous uh, exchange that the synchronous conversation mm -hmm. allows for that I think you don't get in uh, necessarily in forums or other sort of other formats, like some of the best practice stuff, for example, I'm like, well, maybe we can just extract some of this stuff into an FAQ kind of a thing or like a, you know, a database of, I mean, I pull out resources that people share and I dump right. them into our resource library, right? We have this air, amazing Airtable database of resources that people have shared of like tools and things that people use in their work. Those are easy. Um, but some of these serendipitous interactions where there's like these aha moments or these exchanges that are really lovely that you wouldn't get, they really are conversationally based, are to me like some of the most interesting. I mean, we just, I was just reading through a thread earlier this morning um, in our, inclus our inclusivity and accessibility channel around the, um, the origin and usage and adoption of the term Latinx. Mm. Um, and, uh, and then it's all its permutations, et cetera. Um, and it's a, it was it's an incredibly rich thread. It's still going on. Um, and you see this sort of unfolding and people are sharing like different insights from their different, I mean, different cultures, like people from different, uh, um, who either live in different countries or, uh, are, uh, have these different heritages, like are weighing in and sharing their experiences and understandings. I think you wouldn't get that necessarily in, say, a forum per se, um, in the same way. It feels because people, I think, can feel more personal and more comfortable. It feels more like a coffee side, like a, you know, a chat over a cup of coffee or whatever, in a way that you don't necessarily get in other platform types. Um, it's a tough nut to crack. I, again, I think at our size, it probably makes sense for us to have multiple platforms so that people can engage in the ways that matter to them. Um, I don't have the team for that, the resources <laughs> for that. So um, if anybody is interested in, you know, voluntarily jumping in and helping us sort through it, come come at me because <laughs> <Yeah. I'd> welcome <laughs> it. <laughs> um, 
you, you mentioned there, you know, the fact that uh, we have we have a lot of people who are coming into these discussions that are they're very the discussions are very multicultural, right? There are people from all over the world who are very active in the group. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned you mentioned there and I've seen it in the anti-racism channel because a lot of times we'll be talking about like, you know, I saw one. What was it? It was somebody somebody um, was talking about um presenting a um, talk about their experiences visiting India. And they were talking about the language that they used. And, you know, there were plenty of people who were native Indians or Indian expats who could talk about it and the implications of certain words in various, in even like uh, different things or the caste system or whatever. Um, And, and, you know, so we've drawn in this, you have drawn in this very um, multicultural and rich, uh, you know, group of people. Um, was that something that, I mean, I know that you intentionally wanted that group of, to be very diverse and multicultural, but was there anything you specifically did actively to draw those groups in to attract them or anything like that? I'll be very honest. This was not an I thing. This is absolutely a we thing. This happened Mm. very organically. Um, I think again, if whatever part I have played in it has been around, hosting the space and, and facilitating and and being vocal that this is a space where this is a well these conversations are welcome. Um, I think all you know in our field in, in technology in general, but um, in our field where we are constantly feeling like we have to battle for a seat at the table uh, with designers and engineers and product leads. Um, Content strategists, content folks tend to um, feel like they don't have a lot of power or voice. And I think it's really important that we have a space and that we offer space where people do have power and voice. And um, and I think people are attracted to that. And I think that naturally people will gravitate to that. And those who, you know, hopefully some people will be able to find a voice that they wouldn't necessarily otherwise uh, feel like they can um contribute. And so I think that it has happened very organically, but I think creating the spaces deliberately and intentionally is is sort of where it starts. Um, I have thought about how to manage this um, this diversity in a way that that sort of leverages it, so to speak, or allows us to kind of um, celebrate it. Uh, more explicitly, I don't. I don't necessarily have specific ideas, but uh, it's been on my mind, and and I feel like, you know, we have regional channels um, for mm-hmm. folks to connect with their local communities. They tend not to be super active. Um, a couple of them are, but for the most part, people tend to prefer, it seems, um, sort of sharing spaces uh, with folks who are in different cultures and different communities, uh, geographically speaking, uh, which I think is, I think that's beautiful, you know, and, and, um, and, and, and yet people aren't afraid to, to have those differences and, and, and to, for those to be visible, like, um, you know, even in that thread you mentioned, there were some differences of opinion from people who either were Indian or Indian American. I don't, I don't remember specifically um, how they identified, but 
they weren't, you know, not all Indians are the same. They don't all have right, the same yeah. opinions. And, and, and they were able to express that. And, and there was a multiplicity of perspectives as a result. And to me, um, uh, that's what these kinds of communities are good for. I mean, I, I still find it remarkable that we have successfully done this in a way where, where I hope people feel welcome. I mean, this is the, this is the, uh, sort of flip side is who are the, and, and I'm, I, you know, I, I'm involved in other communities as well, both online and offline, mostly online nowadays, but, um, yeah that don't, that struggle with this and, and that we actually, you know, who are the voices that aren't in the room? Um, and are we even aware that they're not in the room? Um, and so I'm kind, I try to be conscious of that with content in UX and thinking about, um, you know, who's not in the room, who's not speaking up, who's not participating. Um, I, I haven't come up with a, a good solution for sort of identifying and consistently identifying and drawing those people out, or if that's even necessary. I'd love to do some like member surveys, um, you know, to get a sense of like, I've n we've never done anything like that. So it's all just based on what people share when they're, when they're uh, signing up, um, requesting an invite, um, an anecdotal, um, mm -hmm. But, um, but I think that's, a, for me, that's sort of always in the back of my head is like, as inclusive as this feels, and as welcoming as this feels, and as rich as the conversation really is, genuinely, um, are there conversations we're missing? Are there voices we're missing? Um, who are they? What, where are they? And, and, um, and how can we uh, include them? Um, and I think, I mean, I, I think about like, how do we bring this back to our work, right? It's the same thing, like, I feel like by modeling this community, maybe perhaps at some level, people are able to go back to their workplace and model it there as well and say like, all right, how can we bring these perspectives and these lenses to the actual work we're doing when we're shaping products? I think that one of the things that's really important that you mentioned a little bit earlier is that you, you kind of defined the guidelines of the group upfront so that people who come into the group know what to expect. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of the conflict that I see in many communities like this is because there were either different rules or no rules set up in the beginning. And then as rules attempt to be established, people feel like the expectations they had for the group are changing. And so that's, and that's a much more, and that's a much trickier not to crack, I think. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I'm seeing and, it now in another community that I participate yeah. in. It's very true. Yeah, I've seen it a lot in other communities. And you know, you tie the you tie the experience in the Slack to the experience in the workplace. And I feel like a lot of conflict in the workplace comes from the same place. Like a yeah. lot of workplaces will say, Oh, we're inclusive and diverse and blah, blah, blah. And you get in there and it's all about the bottom line or about the the guy who has the most headcount or whatever, mm -hmm. right? And 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 I feel like that, and and it's been a topic on a lot of our podcasts. That idea of setting 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 up the a situation where people know what they're getting into can really help a lot. Absolutely, and and I think there's both that upfront expectation, um, and there's also the expectation of of the person that's coming into it, right? Like right. Um, you know, I think one of my sort of, one of the things I hope for is this vision I have is, is that all of these members of ours 
are going back to their workplace and bringing back with them what they've learned and what they've experienced in content and UX. And that may be, you know, something as basic as just being a better writer. Uh, it might be um, something more, um, uh, you know, sociological. Um, it might be around what their expectations are from their next employer. Um, what kind of company do they look for? Do they want to go work for? Do they want to contribute their labor to? Um, and what kind of decisions do they want to make about their career path? Um, you know, that's my <laughs> that's my politics coming out. But um, right, sure. to me, that is like, I mean, that's what a good community does, right? Is it makes us think about ourselves in relationship to it. Um, yeah. And I think, I think that has happened a lot. I mean, I mentioned earlier about how, um, I, you know, I, I talked our, our company into, or, well, okay, let's start this over. <laughs> um, I mentioned earlier about how I brought the idea of salary transparency to our company and we, we brought, and we brought that all together. But another thing is, that, you know, I, I always look at the company like I recently became a manager and I always look at it as like I want to provide a place that's like that community, that's welcoming to everybody and that is bringing people together and that provides a voice for them to bring what's important to them to the workplace and seeing seeing how other communities like yours are doing it and being successful helps give me those tools and so i think that you're right that people are bringing i mean i can only speak for myself but i wouldn't be shocked if people are bringing those conversations and those perspectives all back to the workplace which makes everything better for pretty much everybody in the end a hundred percent i hear here absolutely <laughs> like i can't i mean i i really believe that that I mean, this is this is why I think people, um, you know, I, I, not for nothing. I think it's also why people are drawn to us uh, in that they're not finding that necessarily at their own workplace, right? Um, and mm -hmm. so um, I think that says a lot. And I also think that we are legion. You know, we have a yeah. lot of mem members. Uh, we are visible, um, and we should be uh, proud of that. And we should be leveraging that and using it to have a collective voice and say like, these are the expectations we have from the, from the workplace communities that we participate in as well. Um, and it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, I think I talked a little bit of this at the, about this at the button conference with Christina Halverson recently, but, um, I think that, uh, it looks different for different people and, and, you know, how much, a person wants or feels comfortable or feels safe uh, fighting for their principles and values in the workplace varies dramatically. Um, but those of us who have positions of power, positions of privilege, um, have a huge opportunity to um, to create those spaces, to make room for that, uh, and 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 make it safer for people to have a voice um, and. I, I don't know. I just think uh, that to me is like all I can hope for is that people will um, connect with these the values of our group and 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 the sort of operating principles and the um, the sort of fundamental um, kind of 
guiding principles that that uh, make us such a close knit community and 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 be able to bring some of that back with them elsewhere outside of the you know the so called walls of of our group. <laughs> So tear them all down, we're burn all, it. We're all just, you know, we're all just trying yeah. to get by these days. And, yeah. uh, and we've got, but, but we, the only way we do it is I, you know, it's funny. It's funny hearing myself say this stuff because I am not a joiner. Uh, I've never been a, I've always been an introvert. I've always sort of growing up, always felt like a misfit, yada, yada. And, it's just hilarious to me now that I that I am like in this steeped in this world and this I like this you know maybe it's spending my whole life like wanting these connections but uh, but they are uh, they are what gets us through uh, the crazy shit that we see happening around us right now. Well, I think that I think that in a lot of ways that community provides places for misfits to grow and find their people right yeah and i think i think that's one of i mean certainly true for me when i was a kid and i discovered the punk rock community and i mm -hmm. was like wow here's this bunch of weirdos that are all just flying their own freak flag and i can go and figure out who i want to be in a place in an environment in a place that will give me the space to do that right and i think that all great communities provide that for a people it's not their it's obviously not their sole purpose but it's one of the things that i think a lot of people find really valuable in really good communities absolutely totally so you know you're about to pass 10,000 people uh in your group you've talked about this a little bit like but like you know what are your biggest concerns going forward and what are you looking towards in the future I would love to see us be more intentional about sort of programming uh, and actually have any programming. Um, I would really like to, I mean, like I said, we have a ton of amazing people in this group, a lot of experience, um, a lot of perspective. And I would love to elevate that uh, in more meaningful ways. Um, whether that's through simple meetups, you know, online meetups and, and just sort of sharing out Skillshare, whatever. Um, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, I think exploring where the boundaries of our group really lies is, is really valuable and will need to be done intentionally. So as we consider platform integrations or migrations, um, thinking about what that means for uh, the inclusivity, uh, inclusiveness, um, uh, safety, privacy, et cetera, is really, to, that's going to be really critical. Um, for me, those are sort of my, where I'm most tied up right now. Uh, and when I think about the coming year, where I really want to spend most of my time, um, I have no idea what it looks like, though. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, given given how well and you know, and you know how successful the group has been, I have no doubt that you will continue to figure it out. And I just want to say thanks for coming on, and I really appreciate you bringing your perspective to our listeners today. Thank you so much. This was really fun. I had a great time.
Thanks for listening to This Must Be The Place. You can find out more or subscribe at thismustbethepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at tmbtp underscore podcast. Our theme was composed by Will from America, and our logo was designed by Marissa Epstein. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon.